Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Welcome to Growing in Grace, a program that is called Still Growing Grace for the weekly um, Wednesday mornings. I try to do this every week. Um, Sometimes I do it twice. Sometimes I skip a week, but it's a lot of fun sharing the journey of growing in grace. Today's topic is a continuation of the series. We took a two-week break and talked about judging. Uh, Go back and watch those. Those were so good. Um, But today we're going to have another conversation on what is hell. Uh, Not is hell real or anything like that. This This is having a discussion around all the different questions people may have or perspectives or Bible verses people are wondering about. And then uh, we have one more session after this uh, to finish a six-part series on what is hell. Uh, and then we'll get into some other really, really good stuff. So we'll see. Um, and then I've got some, like today we've got uh, Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher uh, joining us for this great conversation. Um, make sure you look in the links below. There's a whole bunch of articles uh, that uh, Richard has written on the topic of hell or anything related to judgment, things like that. Really, really, really good content. Easy to understand. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and he's a lawyer. So easy to understand and lawyer. Come on. Yeah, it's good. So I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Let's dive right in and then I'll come back after. I'm here live with you and then I will uh, come back and chat. Like the, the interview is pre-recorded, but I'm watching with you. And in fact, I love re-listening as it's live to you. I'm hearing it again and I almost get something different out of it uh, because when you're actually doing the conversation and having the conversation, um, you don't hear everything and catch it all. But when I sit and listen from this perspective, it's really cool. So if you're watching, uh, comment, say hello, tell us where you're from, and then uh, we'll come back at the very end and join in or have you join in uh, with me in a final wrap-up of today's uh, conversation. That's it. Let's uh, dive right into this great conversation. All right, here we go. It's time to finish our discussion on uh, what is hell. Um, usually the question is, is there a hell? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is hell. And uh, if you've not listened to the first four sessions, you'll want to go back and listen to them. They're great discussions. And this today is another great discussion. Hopefully, we'll get into some fun stuff. How do you guys want to begin this uh, final couple conversations? I don't know if we'll get one or two done today or what, but uh, depending on time, who knows? You said you're good. Let's roll. What did, what did you, you said you were preparing some stuff. What, what was it you've been preparing? Because the last time we ended, we, we said, we're going to probably talk about sheep and goats. What does heaven and earth mean? Um, Matthew 23 to 25, end of the world or age. Those are the, some of the related topics to what is hell. I don't know if we, you've been well, exposed to a lot of stuff. So, well, um, I, I will tell you in terms of Matthew 25, of course, that's the chapter where, you know, where you talk about the goats and the sheep and, um, you know, and everlasting hell. And that's where it says hell wasn't made for human beings, but for the uh, angelic powers, uh, you know, for the fallen angelic powers. I uh, see, I would, uh, 
Now, listen, what I'm about to say, I am not about to say is the majority view. But I will say this. I've looked at this, this chapter as a lawyer would look at it, okay, and try to mix the spirit in with it. And I've got to be honest, I don't even think it's talking about human beings. Uh, I think the whole thing is about angelic powers. Do tell. So, yeah, that, that the hell, because in the first place, let's, let's take the key statement it says about hell. That hell was not prepared. Uh, that hell was not prepared, you know, for human beings to go into. That's why people would say, well, you know, it was prepared for the rebellious angels or whatever, uh, but, it, but not for human beings. So if, if that's the case, let's, let's use that as a template. If God didn't create it for human beings, then why on earth should we put human beings in it? All right. Unless there's something very, unless there's some clear delineation that humans, what, what gets judged here are, are nations. The nations are gathered. And then the goats and the sheep are separated. Now, uh, if we look at the Jewish mind and how Jews treated. Uh, no, wait a minute. The, uh, that, would, that would require us to have to have some context. Uh, yes. Yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's undisputed that the Lord appointed various angelic principalities, dominions and powers to rule over earthly institutional structures. I, I mean, er, everyone would agree with that, that the, Angelic powers have been given that there are angels of nations and there are angels of governments and there are angels of institutions. And Walter Wink does a great thing in his in his trilogy about engaging the powers where he basically says, and I don't agree with everything Wink says, but he, it's a very famous trilogy that he wrote. But it's basically talking about how uh, when, when the institutions of the earth are all governed by various angelic powers. And you could even, you know, we love the Matrix movie, and we can even see the things going on with that, that these computer programs, if we see them as angelic powers that run things, uh, that, they're given, that they're given certain powers to run things. So, so verse 32, getting back to Matthew 25, says the nations were gathered before Jesus on his throne. The passage never refers to individual men. All right. So and if you want some verses that talk about the, uh, the fallen powers ruling institutions, it's Ephesians 1, 21, 3, 10, 6, 12, Colossians 1, 16, Revelation 2, 1, 8, 12, 18, Revelation 3, 1, 7 and 14, Daniel 10, 20. Now, some of these angelic powers are said to have followed Satan in his rebellion and they're fallen powers. And, and you know, there are, per, there are passages that say, we are here to judge the fallen powers. We judge angels. Do you not know that you shall judge angels, Paul? We said. talked about that last time. That's right. Yeah. So the goats are cast into some sort of a fire. But even if you read it the way that, uh, uh, that um, the Greek allows for, it doesn't mean eternal. And that's a separate argument that when it says aeneos, it doesn't mean eternal fire but more of a chastening age, an age abiding fire for some unknown period. Uh, but the passage never says that men are cast into the fire. Right. Now, now this is the, this is the acid test as to why I think what I'm saying is correct, because look at what determines whether they go to hell or not. It's not faith in Christ. That's what the rest of the new Testament says determines who goes there and who doesn't. You don't have faith in Christ. Then the belief, the common belief is you, you're cast into hell. But this says, but here we see that the, uh, the, the angelic powers are judged differently. They are, they are judged rather on how they perform systematically as, as uh, agents and facilitators of justice and mercy. And what does it say? You, 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 didn't, 
you know, you didn't feed the poor. You didn't care for the poor. You didn't visit, you didn't visit the prisoner in his affliction. You didn't take care of the disadvantaged. That seems to be, uh, there's no mention of faith anywhere in that. All right. So again, wouldn't it make sense that angelic powers would be judged by how just the government was, how it took care of its poor, uh, how it took care of its hungry, how it took care of its prisoners. Did it treat its prisoners with, did it visit them in their affliction? Did it try to help them and restore them? Uh, so if, if, that's, if that's the case, uh, and let, let me read this. Uh, let me read this. This is, this is from a book called uh, uh, The Unseen World, Christian Reflections on Angels, Demons, and the Heavenly Realm. It says, the ancient, quote, the ancient notion of angels of the nations suggests that they were regarded as the guardians of social order, that behind every nation, tribe, and social structure, there is an angel molding its character and maintaining its continuity throughout time. So here's what we know for sure. We know that angelic powers are judged. We know that the flames in Matthew 25 were created as a place of judgment for both Satan and the angelic powers. That's what it says. Well, I'm not making that up. That's what it says. Uh, it's, and that, that verse is in passage 25, uh, Matthew 25, 41. Three, that whatever is being judged uh, in, in Matthew 25 is not the issue of faith in Jesus, but rather the unwillingness to care for the poor, weak, and the imprisoned. That's what's being judged. In other words, this institution, this government, is not doing what God created angelic powers to do, and that's to take care of the weak and the, you know, and the oppressed. Four, we know that what are being brought together before the throne of Jesus to be just here are all the nations. And then by nations, I would take that to be the angels of the nations, okay, mm -hmm. the, the, the powers of the institutions. And then uh, five, that the angelic powers work on some level in the operation of nations and institutions, as I said. Six, that goats often represent ruling demonic entities in the Bible. To the devil in particular, the serpent, the goat, and the dragon have been attributed as his symbols. So the goats here are talking about the goats that are separated are the, are the fallen powers that have followed Satan. All right, because the, again, the goat, and you go all throughout you know, the, the, scapegoat, the scapegoat in the Old Testament is, is the Azazel goat. And, and Azazel is one of the names of Satan. Hmm. All right. So again and again, you can track the, uh, uh, you can track the, the concept of the goat uh, to, to refer uh, to the devil. And even Isaiah uh, 14.9, if you read it literally, it says it talks about the goat-like leaders of the earth uh, who have rebelled against God. Uh, Zechariah 10.3 says, the, the shepherds, my, against the shepherds, my anger has grown hot, and against the goat-like leaders, I shall hold, hold an accounting. Again and again, goat, and, and then Isaiah 13.21 actually has the term goat-shaped demons in it. So the whole point of it is goats throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Hebraic mind, come to mean demonic powers. Well, and I, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm basically, I, I think I don't, I don't want to sit here and write a book on this. I know I'm it's not like I'm reading a book, but, but I, I think we, shouldn't we, shouldn't we construe these things in the way that's the most consistent with God's character? And, and even if you say that, Richard, you're wrong, I don't believe a word of that. Well, then the, the fire that it's talking about in there doesn't mean eternal torture. It's a, it's a age, it's an age chastening fire. So I got you two arguments. And so that even the angels are being judged with a view for their redemption, yeah, which is what Origen believed, and that's what got him in hot water. So I'll shut up. I think I've said enough. <laughs> no. I, 
and I, I tend to lean very much in the same alignment with, with you, Richard. I, I, I've read this many, many times and I've allegory, I made an allegory toward humanity because I think there's a way of doing that. And I, I'll, I'll quickly address that in a second. But I think it, it's pretty clear. It says nations right at the beginning. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's the funniest part about this is people have, have for so long made this about humanity and individuals. And it just doesn't even say that right in its own the title, I'm looking at it right here. It says, when he comes in his glory and the angels with him, on his, you know, the nations will be gathered before him. It's not talking about people. It's talking about collectives, high-mindedness, right? And my only, my only kind of point to make is, is I think there's an opportunity for our listeners or people who are following here to understand that this angelic thing that, that you described, I think that there's other words um, that are just as, synonymous with the same concept that maybe takes away some of the religious stigma that comes along with angels and stuff like that. You could call it, you know, quantum, you could call it hive mindedness of institutions, right? There's the collective consciousness. I don't know what angels are, if they're <laughs> yeah. independent ontological things. or Two little things that sit I on your shoulders. Know. I don't know. And I'm okay not knowing, right? Uh, but the point is that that, that, collective or that independent from an individual consciousness is what's being judged here not an individual and i would wholly heartedly agree with you in this in this particular passage and you're right the the irony in this when you point it to anybody is the only thing that qualifies one for you know blessing here is is works is self-righteousness literally i mean if you do these things then it's this is the most conditional thing that Jesus ever said in terms of right, and yet that goes against every piece of Christian orthodoxy, and in that you know it's through faith uh, that you shall be saved, not through works, right? So it is a it is a total this is very karma, this is very Newtonian, this is very cause and effect, and those are the things that God created as good and very good that when they aren't good and very good, they will be judged and they will be put through the purification fire that is yes. for an age of time. Yes. Amen. I take a look at, uh, or at least I'm reminded quickly of Sodom and Gomorrah because there's a town or a village or a city that was governed and let run the way they were. Um, and they were destroyed not because of the behaviors that uh, we read about at the beginning of the story. It says in Ezekiel yes. that it was destroyed yeah. completely because they lacked care for the poor. They never took care of whoever. Their lack of authentic care for other humans. That's Good. why it was destroyed according to Ezekiel. So if anybody tries to pull the gay card, say, hey, they were trying to do sodomy, they were trying to do all that stuff. Listen, that is not the reason. Those are awful things anyway that was portrayed in that story. And it was not even, that was just like uh, abuse stuff as well. Yeah. But the yeah. key here, if, you're, if this dominion thing's true, that gives greater value and, and uh, insight into Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it, it takes away the, the, um, you did this, now you're going to get this, right? Like, this is, this is pretty big. Well, yes. and I would say that the hot Sodom and Gomorrah kind of aspect of God's retaliatory or retributive yeah. personality is what most of us were taught in our early 
at least in my early experiences of Christianity. And, and the challenge that I've had to come through, and I think so many of uh, people who are walking the same kind of steps we are, is, is having to redefine that through the lens of Christ crucified. Mm -hmm and ask ourselves, would Jesus do that thing? And in that particular case, I think it's pretty dang obvious because the disciples frankly asked him to do that exact thing, and then he rebuked them and said, no, you don't, I mean, you don't get it, right? So funny how that works. It's amazing, yeah. Which, which means their default picture of revenge was that image, or it would not have come up. So, so did God something... actually do that? My answer now is no. Yeah, the lens has totally changed. So, Richard, you said something else at the end there. Um, you're not definitely at the end, but the, the end of the argument that if somebody says, no, you're wrong, uh, I want to challenge that to our listeners and to myself and to us. This isn't about us being right or wrong. That, that's so important to catch. But to have uh, respect for those that have studied, uh, that have um, arrived at a different conclusion than what you may have. I think most people that are going to disagree are going to uh, have to be honest and say they did not do any deeper, deeper, deeper lens. And if they have, they've only done it with the one commentary on their shelf, right? Like the fact that there's other views is so, so important. It helps us understand each other. I think they had so many arguments in the early church and their councils. They had disagreements, but they still came together. They didn't have to agree on everything, but they arrived at a conclusion allowing room for other perspectives. And so if this is a new perspective to somebody, um, don't, don't ditch it because it sounds new to you. It doesn't mean it's new. It's actually ancient. So I think that's really important when it comes to really tough topics like this, that if it's the first time hearing that lens, and to write off as in it's not true, you're wrong, that's, that's like a five-year-old. Well, it really is. Well, and, and really, this is the, uh, you know, putting aside whether it's talking about angels or humans, we could just focus on the fact that uh, when it says, uh, you know, when it talks about that the Aeneas, you know, the everlasting fire is one translation, but it's not everlasting. It's age abiding fire. And that word for fire is Colossus there. And it's a word that if you trace it back in the Greek, um, it has a, uh, uh, there's two words for punishment. One is Tamoria and, and the other is Colossus in the Greek. But uh, Colossus has the, uh, uh, carries the idea that it's for the betterment of the person who's, who's committed the offense. It's punishment to make the person better. It's punishment that rehabilitates. All right. And actually, the word Colossus was also used to speak to pruning. You know, you prune bushes so that they come out with fuller growth. You know, that's a related usage of it. So the whole point of it is, let's just forget about who it's talking about. We can hit it from that angle. You forget about who it's talking about and just say, what does this tell us about how God punishes? This is the only word for punishment used in the Gospels. So it ought to be pretty important. The word punishment that I see in terms of Jesus punishing anybody in the afterlife, this is the only passage in the Gospels. All right. Let me, let, so, me share this, let me share the screen with you because uh, this is coming from a quote that you, well, at least I created the quote attributing it to you. <laughs> okay. Um, but this is from our last conversation we had on judging. God judges to console and cure. The world judges to condemn and accuse. God's judgment is not punitive, but rather curative, which fits this topic as well. Yes. And if, and if people will just believe that, then, then hell will take care of itself. We'll, we'll see that whatever we may, you know, one, one of the things, you know, I, I've written about several places is about the difference 
between how things look from man's point of view versus how things look from God's point of view. Mm. You know, when, when, uh, you know, when uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he said, I've been here forever. I've been here in eternity. I've been, you know, I, I, I've been here forever, but it was only three days. Yet when he comes out, he realizes it's only been three days. So whatever we may think hell is because of our delusion and our paranoia and our fear and our expect, expecting the worst and fearing the worst, you know, from God's point of view, it's, he's just fixing us. He's curing us. He's blessing us. He's pouring his balm over us. He's I, telling us to calm down and just massaging us to get us into a place of, of, of receptivity and to loosen up and just receive him and receive his goodness. And, and I would say, you know, again, to people that are listening, I think this could be encouraging that I, I would, you guys can speak for yourself, but I would guess that none of us are denying that there is some sort of post-mortem experience that can be very, and I'll use the word tormenting, potentially for an individual. Um, that That's a very plausible and, and honestly scriptural and, and real thing that I, I absolutely believe in. I just don't believe it's eternal in the sense that it's unending and that the fires get hotter with the intention of, of, vengeance and punishment yeah the, mo- the motive is, is a big yeah, deal this is about redemption this is about renewal this is about burning away the chaff to unveil the kernel of wheat that that is the essence seed of life that that we are all we all contain right the, the unique fingerprint of god that each one of us is that is both oddly and paradoxically independent but also totally you know interdependent uh it's it's a beautiful uh mystery but god's mystery isn't about taking that and just destroying it it's about it's about bringing it through to its fullest purpose i've seen um uh enough articles and blogs and even chapters and books on the love of god being uh the fire the fire is the love of god and it'll pour onto the believer and the believer will go, wow, this is amazing. The unbeliever, they're going, what? Get this away from me. I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know this. What is this? It's like hugging your kid as a teenager and they do not want to be hugged, you know, and uh, it's love. It's still the same love, but the receptors in the individual is the perception. So uh, to see it that way, that really changes the lens of things. You know, I, uh, I, I remember, I think it was like 16 or 17, laying in bed after a Pentecostal church youth group meeting where he preached on hellfire and brimstone. Like literally it was, and I thought, but you, you just, you began to talk with God as love. Um, I remembered that. And then it, I was up till three or four in the morning thinking, if God loves the world, how does this hell thing work? Like I just... I couldn't figure it out. It just did not make sense. And I was, I was 16 or 17, you know, and at that age, don't knock kids that are questioning things because their brains are just fine yeah. just because you're not packaging it. Right. And you know, if they're challenging you, that means you're packaging it right. Well, and I would say this in support of what you both have just said that first Corinthians three uh, is talking about a postmortem fire that ever that we go through the fire. And, you know, if, if, if your life has been built on Christ, then it's then it goes through the fire unburned because you have silver, gold, bronze, you know, the, the metals, they go through it un, unharmed. 
But if you built your, your life on wood, hay, not on Christ, on wood, hay, and stubble, that gets burned. And it says the person who goes through the fire suffers loss, though they themselves will be saved, yet as by fire. So the loss then is, are, are those aspects of our false identities, which we have tenaciously clenched onto with our values, with our thinking, with our emotions. We've got a clinch response. You know, they used to say uh, your hand could freeze to the sword. You know, you clench the sword so tight it freezes to it. And I think a lot of us, is, a lot of our, uh, our minds and our emotions and our souls have clenched and frozen onto these uh, false identities of who we are, what we fear, what we dread. And we've defined ourselves by these things, but the Lord comes in, in this fire. And listen, and, and, and we got to remember this. We got to remember this. This is the most important passage in the Bible on this, in my opinion. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. I Matthew knew you were going to say that. I knew Matthew, it. <laughs> Matthew 5 through 48, 38 through 48. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. 48 saying that God, be perfect, just like your heavenly father's perfect. And actually, it says, therefore, be perfect. So you have to look at what the therefore is therefore at the previous 10 verses. And it says everything about God that makes him special and perfect is that how he treats his enemies, those who hate him, including those who reject him. Hmm. And that's when he says you turn the other cheek, you walk the extra mile, you give the extra garment. Um, you know, you, 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 he wants this, you give him the coat. He wants your shirt, you give him your coat. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike, bountiful rain. He loves his enemies. He prays for those who despitefully uses them. He blesses his enemies. That's what makes him perfect. So why wouldn't that apply to a post-mortem judgment? If it applies to a post-mortem judgment, then what is he doing? He's doing what Paul called overcoming evil with good. He overcomes hate with love. He overcomes it. And Paul said, when you do that, it heaps it heaps coals on someone's head. And I like to call those cathartic coals. These are coals of conviction on somebody's head that it hurts, it burns, it burns, but it brings you, it brings you into a cathartic experience to where you're now able to receive the Lord. And, and that's what you were saying about, you know, we don't want to be hugged. We may be repelled by the Lord's hug. But then the point is his goodness, we will melt. We will begin to melt slowly but surely into the Lord's arms. And we won't resist that. We may hit him in the chest and say, let me go, let me go. But then the more we feel his arms surround us, the more we'll just yield and lean into it. And then all the defiance will be gone. And all the wood, hay, and stubble will be gone. That, and that, that, that sound like Jesus. It sounds like Frost and Snowman. <laughs> I'm melting. Sorry. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a thought on that as well. What if on postmortem, um, the love of God is so great towards every one of his creation that they are walking through that fire, not alone, but escorted by angelic beings through the fire. Those who understand that carry and lift up while the fire's on. Like, I, I think there's more going on in the spiritual world than we realize or have been told. Absolutely. Um, so to, to even have a suggestion that there is, there is, there is a continued change after we die in these earth suit because our spirits do not die. So listen, the consciousness I think is still there. I don't know what that, I don't know what gets burned off. Is it the ego consciousness is, is eliminated? I believe it is. Um, but then the true self and whatever happens, like we're, we won't know it all on the other side that we're not God. So there's, there's going to be more learning, more 
growing, more maturing going on, more what going on, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I think the angels play a role in this. And if they're ministering angels and their roles to minister yes. and usher us into the presence of God, what are they going to minister to us while we're being ushered after the earth suit's been ditched and the veil has been lifted? Do you think we're going to see more clearly than we did before? You betcha. Yes, yes, yes. It's all about elbow room. The Lord has limited elbow room here because of all of our collective free wills. But once we go to the postmortem place, he's got a lot more elbow room because it's just us and him, you know, in, the, in, this, in this individual thing where he reveals what our name is. You know, we each have a name. I think this walkabout the Lord takes us on is where he shows you, let me show you what I created you to be. And he takes us on, the, just like Scrooge, he, ta he takes us on a Scrooge-like walkabout and shows our soul and heals our soul. I mean, that, that doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that. That's, that's pretty intuitively attractive, I think. Yeah, and, and kind of to, I guess, go off on a mild angle, I, I think that one of the biggest misnomers that I think I addressed it in a couple of uh, episodes ago, but I think it, it resonates here, at least with me, is, is a lot of these false identities inside of what I would call organized Christianity or the institutional church have really been twisted. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've called them internally in our, our worlds, you know, the, the, the outcasts, right? It's the people outside of the quote unquote doors of the church that are the ones that need to get right, or they're going to go through this fire, even if it's curative, even if it's uh, a punitive, it doesn't matter. However, we address it, that the people that are going to experience the worst fire are the ones that are immoral or maybe out, you know, promiscuous, or maybe it's the, the, the person that's. I, I, I bet you're going to say it's not them. Well, yes, I'm going to say, <laughs> they have aspects of them. But if Jesus is to be believed, and I believe Jesus, the people that are going to have the worst time in that fire purifying, you know, thing are, aren't the people that have a bunch of baggage, right? In fact, uh, reading in uh, Luke right here, um, 741, Jesus talking, he says, two people owe a certain money lender, one owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one will love him more? And Simon Peter says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly, right? So the people that we, you know, judge as being having bigger debts to God, however we define that, you know, the murder. Pretty judgmental when you think about it. Yeah, the murderer, again, the person that we're judging as, as having a morality, a morality that, that might prevent them from being loved by God. The twist of this entire narrative that we're all talking about here is any self-righteousness that I put back on myself is actually the real false identity that has the potential to have the most cancerous effect and the most pain in that postmortem uh, purification process. That's going to be way harder to get rid of than that person's, you know, big boil that may be surface level. Mine's deep. Mine's inside of my, you know, organs. His is just a little flesh thing that so, just has to be carved off. So imagine, you know, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Paul is such a good example of what Bill just talked about. Because there's, there's Saul killing Christians, zealously being self-righteous, 100% committed to it. And yet Paul says, I'm chief sinner. I was a chief sinner, which supports what Bill is saying. 
that's I, I'm the chief. I'm the first among sinners. And I think it's because of his religious zealotry, you know, that he was saying that. Yeah. But then his name, he gets a name change. And, you know, to the Hebrew name meant nature so that but he gets a nature change. He's no longer known as Saul. He's, he's known as Paul. That's the real he, that's the real identity God oh, called him to. And his fire is just his hellfire was was on uh, on this side, on this side of death. But uh, but but it's the same concept, whether we're all going, you know, if we welcome the fire on this side, it'll burn us on this side as we cooperate and it'll be better and sooner. You know, sooner is always better. OK, uh, but if we, whatever's not touched by the fire, whatever's not purified, then God, you know, in, in the afterlife, he takes us on a walk about and cures us. So it's really it's really, you know, just connect the dots. They're all there. I think Bruce Walkup says it best in his series on what is the gospel. Um, he, uh, he says, if what you're learning, uh, you need to ask, is it make, does it make God look bigger and better? Or does it make him look smaller and weaker? That is a great lens to use for what you're believing. And Amen. unfortunately, it requires honesty. Like, do you, do you hang on to the doctrine that you've just grown up with? Or are you willing to put that lens on that doctrine and go, wait a minute, this is actually quite limited. This is quite exclusive, not inclusive. I'm in, you're not, us versus them. Um, that, that's the theme. And by the way, that's what hell does. The topic of hell, it gives um, religious people the right to judge everyone else as I'm I'm not going there. You are. Therefore, I'm more superior and better than you. And which they'll say, well, of course, they don't believe thing, that. But they're, they mean it. Which is the one thing, if you go just to the person of Jesus, if we just start with him and his ministry, that's the only thing he seemed to combat over and over again. Yeah. That's, that's what led me to this place is focusing on who Jesus was talking to and what he was so passionate about. And it was never about people who had moral transgressions. It was always about people who judged people who had moral transgressions. Yes, yes, Richard, yes. Richard and I did uh, two programs on judging the last two, the last two episodes. And uh, they were really good. In fact, I'm glad we did the second one because that, that just opened it up so much more. I love that. I agree. But unfortunately the topic is even bigger. Like the more I think on and dwell on what we discussed, there's so much connected to judging that it's like, crap, I didn't see that coming. And it's very humbling. Like all of our doctrinal topics, love it boils down to how we judge. What's our perspective of judging? So we have to understand, are we using a biblical template or are we using a Christ-like template? And, and there what's are the different, what's the difference? Well, there are. I mean, the, the challenges, there are parts of the scriptures, especially, that are extremely judgmental. And if we allow that to be our, our center point, our anchor, if you will, of, of understanding the nature of God, then absolutely these things become valid. Mm -hmm. But if Christ is that foundational linchpin, and everything flows through him and him alone, well, we have to redefine all those other things through a new lens, and maybe even look at them and flip them on their proverbial head because maybe that judgment wasn't really about god's judgment maybe it was about human judgment misrepresented onto god and then they'll get to a whole other thing it's probably for a different day so <laughs> oh you, man yes you just nailed something so important and that's when you said they're going to have to then revisit all their doctrine and that's where people don't realize they don't want to do that by calling it out 
Um, this is this is really where things are going to go for everybody in all their thinking. Some don't care about theology, but some do. And if you're not willing to at least visit what you think you believe, is it really that threatened? Or and is Grace going to throw another curveball at us? But at us all, the opposite is when we abandon Jesus completely. Yeah. Right. So we have some who who, who kind of hold Jesus as a figurehead of their faith, but the Bible and and kind of more of a a legalistic mentality is their understanding of God. And that comes from a, a progression of Christianity that I think we've talked about before. But the counterpart is that I'm seeing this in a lot of our, our, our other circles is the complete abandonment of Christ, the complete abandonment yeah. of the person of Jesus. That's representative of this, of this force that is the father, that is the spirit inside of me. And without Jesus, the person, all of this begins to fall apart too. And, and some folks are afraid to deconstruct or change their, their discipleship journey because they're afraid of going too far, right? They don't want to give up Jesus and they hear people doing that. But I also think Jesus is influential enough in all those other people's lives to draw them back, to bring the pendulum back. So I'm not worried about that. Well, I, I think too, you know, that's why I, I didn't like Carlton Pearson's book you know, that goes, I forget what the name of it is, but it was basically on, on a form of universalism where, where no, there's no, there, there is no chastening. There is no purification. There is no that. It's just like when we die, we're just all there together and that's it. So there's no journey. There's no, there's no qualitative evolving. There's no growing. And that's what this, this is about. This is for our good. Whatever the Lord comes, whatever comes from the Lord is for our good. It's that simple. Whatever is from the Lord is for our good. So whatever fire we go through, it's for our good, no matter how evil we've been. And the higher the fire cooks, you know, the higher the fire is because we've been, we need more cure. All right. But it's curative fire. And, um, you know, it's, 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 um, and plus, you know, you look at Scrooge, that's, I keep coming back to Scrooge, but that was such a qualitative work the Lord did with him, with those angels and where he was taken and the pressure points in his soul that were touched. It's so important. The Lord wants us to get there ourselves. He wants to lead us and to take us on a journey, on a walkabout, to, so that we, we, we undergo a qualitative change. That's why all this suffering is here, is, is so that we undergo a qualitative change. And I don't believe in the I love genie thing where you just blink your head and now you're, you're righteous and you don't, have, you, know, you don't have any kind of journey or nothing left to learn. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no walkabout. There's no journey in that. You know, there, faith, we grow from faith to faith to resemble him. And that's a marvelous, incredible journey that we should embrace and, and ha- with patience and joy. And um, I, I think if we get just get 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 away from this instant thing to where, you know, you move Jesus to the margin and then and, and then it, it's just, well, we'll just when it's all over with, we're just all being heaven. That'll be the end. You know, that, that the, you know, and I think that's Einstein said it this way. He said, make things as simple as possible, but not simpler than possible. <laughs> and I think when we make things too simple and we talked about reductive and Mike, that, that term reductive in our other thing the other day, when you, when you oversimplify something, you take the quality out of it. You, you take the quality endurance, you know, it's through faith and patience. We inherit the promises of God. And that word for, for patience means a joyful endurance. It's mm-hmm. through faith and joyful endurance that we inherit. And that, so, I mean, we, God wants to do quality work in us and that takes time in the pressure cooker. <laughs> well, here's the other, here's the other side. 
when you got the, that worry about fire, because some people are going to have something stuck in their head. So this this fire that you're, <laughs> that you're dealing with, ha, ha, ha. really, the stuff that's going to get burned off isn't the real you anyway. Yeah. So we need to remember that whatever's going to that you're going to have to let go of was never yours to hang on to anyway. So this is all about the goodness of God for but, your good. And that's what I want to. Yeah. So. I think I, you know, it, when we get talking here, there's some funny things that happen even before we start talking, I think on, on camera, uh, Mike is wearing a tie. If you, I guess if you're only listening, you don't see that. And where were you, Mike? And, and, and how did it conclude? Cause I think this has a point I want to make. Oh, okay. Well, I, I just had a funeral and uh, the person was non-religious and we had to close off the service after the Lord's prayer. Um, I said, and now for a traditional closing song. And I sat down smirking under my mask and uh, they played the Monty Python, always look on the bright side of life. That's how we ended and walked out of the service with the casket. So the non-religious, non-Christian <laughs> ceremony and you played Monty Python, close out this thing. And, and I think this is, this is a metaphor. There's a, there's a beautiful allegory going here that so much of, of what we see is this hellfire, brimstone, fear-riddled, you know, uh, conditional mechanism of hardship and turmoil and, and, and you know, I don't know, just keep going with all these words of just downtroddenness, right? And the whole point of this adventure, this thing that is life, is, in my opinion, and I, uh, Robert Capon calls it this, it, it's, it's comedy. Mm. It's comedy. There is a lighthearted levity that this whole thing is, it doesn't mean we won't get slapped over the head every once in a while, just like the three stooges used to poke each other's in the eyes. And, you know, there is, there can be like these like moments of ow and oh and bank and bonk. And, but there's this, there's this party that is the point of all of it that is um, a, a lightness, right? Richard, you wrote about lightness yesterday, but I mean, there's a, there's kind of a, you know, a, a homonym kind of thing going on where light is light, but it's also a levity, right? An enlightening, a, a, a getting more free, less pressure on us to be able to perform. And now we can just kind of laugh even in the face, right? You know, you just said joyful endurance, long suffering, but through the suffering, we're kind of, we're the person in the room going, is that guy crazy? Or is he just having a good time? I wrote this a long time ago. Well, I guess it was last year in May. I said, the gospel is a form of slapstick comedy, a, a type of simplistic, but surefire humor where the rubber bat of God's judgment strikes us while the bellows of levity and laughter and grace overflow from heavenly onlookers who see our flailing and flopping responses. The whole life is a big over-the-top satire where in the end, despite the most extreme circumstances and darkness exposed, the final punchline of ridiculously exaggerated love prevails. And not one speck of irony is left unresolved from its almost too unbelievably happily ever after ending. That's good. Wow. That's good. That's awesome. Wow. Well, let's, let's end our <laughs> hell topic on a light note. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you know, why not? This, is, this has been a great discussion and we could go much deeper, but that's not the point of these talks. This is about having 
um, real life day-to-day conversations for the average person that may be pondering these topics and giving them new language to rethink some of these topics. Because if, if they don't have a, a concept that there's a new way to see this, they're not going to look for a new way to see this. So I, I'm enjoying uh, dancing yeah. through all these. I think, uh, I don't know if we can do it uh, next time or, or whatever, but I think there's one more passage that's worth talking about. And it's about the lake of fire in Revelation. I, I think to give some people okay. some ideas about that, the dovetail exactly into what we've just been talking about. Okay, uh, let's, I think let's save that for them. Yeah, I, I got to wrap up because of my time, unfortunately. Um, so this is going to be a one session. I'm going to put on some Kevlar swimwear and then. <laughs> All right. So, so as I as I'm about to hit the stop for recording, uh, let's just say, folks, join us next time for our final conversation, and we're going to talk about the Lake of Fire. What is that? And uh, I think it's going to be good news. So, thanks again, uh, Bill and Richard. This has been fun, and we'll see you next time for our final conversation on it. Alrighty, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. That was fun. I hope you heard something you've never heard before. I hope you heard those reminders that uh, if you revisit some of our scriptures and the Bible verses that have been used to bonk you over the head, clobber you uh, with fear and be afraid of God, um, and to find out that's not its purpose and somebody has been misusing the tool, um, that's kind of an awakening time. So uh, I love this. And so we are going to come back. We are going to talk about the lake of fire, which actually is one of the big scary topics that most people in the church world um, automatically believe in, automatically think we're all going there if you don't believe in God. Um, and after today's session, you should have heard some hope there. If you enjoyed today's session, go back and watch the other four. There's like there's a whole series. Still Growing Grace has a uh, playlist on, on my YouTube channel. And uh, I think the link is below as well. You'll find it there. But my goodness, there's all the topics we're covering. This is real, real life stuff. So I hope you're enjoying it. Um, I'm going to say hello to a few people. Uh, Frida Friesen, good morning. Where are you from if you're still watching? Uh, would love to know. And Sandra from the UK, yay! Good to see you on. Uh, love it. And uh, Samantha, great seeing you. I think you've moved out east, I think, right? I think so. Jim Andrews, good morning from Portland. Um, in fact, I got a couple people in Oregon that uh, are connecting here. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see or know how you heard of Still Growing Grace in Canada here. Um, and that's it for today. So let's just uh, let go of that and come back next Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. And we're going to have our final discussion on what is hell and basically what is the lake of fire and how does that fit into the love of God? Like it fits and it's not scary. That's the point. So <laughs> anyway, that's it. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for watching and share if you like this. Thanks. Bye. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.